Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us again for another episode of the Peterson Car Stories podcast, hosted by me, Patrick Thomas, and Daniel Valdez. Today, we have a very special guest. He is a mega influencer, the CEO and owner of Victory Club, a PR firm slash social media engagement coordination uh, firm. You can hit him up if you need help with all your social media needs. His name is Michael Durr, but you may know him as Keys the Jungle. Please, Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. No problem. So, Mr. Durr, as I just gave you a little intro, do you want to like explain it in your own terms as opposed to my spark noted version? Oh, of of uh, me and Victory Club, no, and everything? Or or just, just life? Who, like yeah, life. Yeah, life? man. Life. You want my life story? All right. Let's... <laughs> no, no, we'll get to that. No, I just want to just tell the people what you do, what you're up to. Oh, you just asked me what I do for a living. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, let's see. So, started out as an influencer. Um, started, you know, doing all sorts of goofy stuff online. Wow, this guy's really against me here. Okay, so I started doing all this like social media content around automotive stuff, right? Hypercars was what I focused on, right? The the rarest, most expensive new cars. Uh, traveled up and down the East Coast, documenting all sorts of car shows. Uh, then I started um, manipulating my photos in unique ways, color changing cars, funny photoshops, whatnot, stuff that got attention. And I figured out how to get things viral online pretty quickly. Uh, and so I never actually went into the whole profession of being a professional photographer. I just went into like the social media guy. Um, but as that developed, what I realized is there's a lot of issues with uh, the quality of content that's put out online, right? And so um, I went out on a mission to try and do a couple different things to change the quality of the output of content. And so that's where Victory Club kind of came about. Uh, I realized a lot of these big companies, they don't understand how to work with freelance creators. They don't understand how to tell stories. They don't understand, um, you know, a lot of the digital world because it's new. So I started working with a whole bunch of different freelancers to create uh, a whole different level of, of quality and purpose to social content. So that's that story. So... What like brands have you worked with with this new Victory Club and what other creators of note worth mentioning? Um, let's see. So uh, currently work a lot with Pirelli, um, their social content side of things, but moving into some other creative campaigns with them. Uh, Reliable Carriers, they're the largest uh, trucker, I guess, automotive transport company in North America. We do use them a lot, yes. Yep. And then, um, I mean from all sorts of stuff, Victory Club and not Victory Club related. I've done stuff with uh, like uh, Amazon, uh, McGuire's, Dollar Shave Club, stuff like that. Tell everyone where you're from. How it? How did it all start? All right. I have been a mobile man for my entire life. So I was born in New York. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm a New Yorker, right? And uh, when I was seven, I moved to Florida, became a Florida man, <laughs> totally <laughs> reckless. And then... Went to college in North Carolina, Back, uh, went back and forth between Florida and North Carolina for a couple of years, and then moved to Orange County, California in May of 2021. Um, but I've spent... Oh, you're new here. I'm new here, yeah. Oh. I've, I've spent some time out of the country as well. I spent a couple months in London, um, spent another, part of another summer in Europe, and um, just trying to... I've spent time in Chicago and, and other places too. So how is... A uh, car scene different here in Los Angeles than anywhere else, in your opinion? I believe that Southern California is the automotive hub of the world. Right answer. Um, so, well, 
Yes and no. From I think from a marketing perspective and a collector's perspective, this is the center of automotive culture. Obviously, the big part of automotive car culture starts in Europe with a lot of the manufacturers, right? Um, but here, there is a, a different scene and a different understanding of what automotive enthusiasm is. And until I moved here, I didn't understand what that meant. So, you know, the first car event that I went to felt like I was in a Fast and Furious movie, right? And it's like, um, you know, the, I think that meet had 300 cars on a Thursday night, right? And it was all like well-maintained. No one was being reckless, whatnot. It was 10 o'clock on a, a Thursday night, right? And it was just like all these people, all these different cars, you know, being in the hypercar space, I'm not really used to a lot of JDM and American cars and, and like built cars. And so I got to see like a whole different side of the culture, but everyone is so casual about it out here, right? You can have, you know, someone that owns 15 cars, talk to someone that just built their own car in their garage. And it, there's no like, um, that you don't feel a social difference between the two people. They're just talking about cars because they like everyone out here just loves cars. And even the people that don't love cars, a lot of them, they still <laughs> respect cars. Yeah. But um, the, the culture here is it's just it's a lot deeper than it is everywhere else. Um, and there's a lot more infrastructure in society that's built around automotive culture to support it here. Yeah, I remember uh, one of one of me and Daniel's bosses. He said in New York, they notice what you're wearing first. When you start talking to somebody, but here in this in this city, you look at what they're driving before anything else. Yeah. Do, do you believe there's some merit behind that? Uh, I mean, yes and no. Um, I think, in the sense of like predetermined judgments, not really, but they do notice your your car before anything, right? And it's like, it's interesting because as a you know an automotive enthusiast that drives the Tesla, you know certain people in certain places definitely make fun of it, right? What, what are some of the comments you got um, once they, once well, you tell people that you drive a Tesla? Oh, they're like, why are you driving a golf cart? And like, I can't deal with that because of the sound. It's and then I, I take them for a ride in my car and it's like, oh, well, I misinterpreted that real, real bad. It's because yeah. I'm reckless in my car and they like the recklessness of. It's a five of, speed, right? Yeah, it's five speed. <laughs> <laughs> it's five speed. That's right. You do have a little five speed. Installed. I do. Yeah. Insert picture. <laughs> Insert picture. Uh, we're, we actually don't have a video portion of this. That's true. That's true. Um, that's because I'm too ugly. And so are you. Yeah, no, seriously, the world can't handle. And from a distance, money. do people think it's a Ferrari? Because it's a little uh, badging. Yeah, so I have the uh, I have the Ferraris online sticker on there, right? And so um, it looks like a Ferrari badge, but it's a skunk, right? And so uh, I try to incorporate a lot of the elements of my car into stuff that's talking points right because it's not like i it's not like i can have a modified exhaust even though there is a tesla in orange county that has a speaker tied to it um so i created all sorts of aesthetic things to enhance the look of the car so i have hre wheels on it i have a custom carbon fiber hood on the car uh, and then i have these uh, ferraris online stickers i have a custom steering wheel custom lighting on the inside uh, you know the five speed quote conversion <laughs> uh and so, um, you know, just all sorts of, of different things that, you know, add to the experience of the car rather than just like, you know, twin turbo. Do you think you'll ever get a ice car or anything? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think what's super, on the list. Supercars are a whole different um, 
it's just a whole different experience inside of a car that's a quote exotic car right because and i believe the same thing about classics right because the the two of them being in a traditional car you don't you're not really thinking about the car right or a daily you're not thinking about the car itself but when you're when you're in a performance car or a classic or or something that has a whole history to it and a whole different element of design to it you tend to appreciate different things about the car right and so um you know that's where a lot of people are like well i care about the sound right and it's like well as a business owner i'm on the phone like 80 percent of the day so being in a quiet tesla is nice right i actually got a couple phone calls taken care of on the way here right hour-long drive i actually was productive on the drive here rather than just like being anxious about someone trying to sideswipe my car on the 405 right and so I think it's important to have a car like that for actual driving appreciation, especially as things get a little bit more strict in the world with, with cars. Yeah, I remember you, I remember when you and I would like go to events, you'd always stop and look at the 12 C's. You still got a fancy for those? Oh yeah. I, that's, <laughs> I, I'm actually looking at a 12 C spider right now. Oh, um, it seems like a good deal cause it was a daily driver. So it's in good condition. Um, ironic what really uh, yeah because the th think about it like if a car has been driven say 15 plus days out of a month then the issues have been kind of worked out on the car right not every car is like that but for i would say for more performance oriented cars the more that it's driven the less long-term issues it's going to have so um yeah, that's like, where you don't want something that's been sitting in a garage for six months, like rotting the battery. Exactly. No, like to find the, like you can't find the gremlins unless you look for them. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it is annoying to just jump into that, that next stage, you know, cause mm -hmm. it's uh it's a whole process. Right. But um, yeah, definitely um, need a car that's just loud and fun. But the thing, like even my Tesla is fun. It just has terrible handling and I just need something <laughs> that's as fast that can handle. Yeah, there you go. I mean, this guy drives a Land Rover, so he knows all about fast and handling, right? The apex of British racetrack technology. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, easily. Uh, yeah, I, I'm the same way because I personally, I drive an old, old grandma Lexus because I literally bought it off my old grandma. Love you, grandma. Um, people are always like, oh, Patrick, you're the car guy. You work at the Peterson. Where's your cool car? I was like, ah, you know what? Don't need that right now. Yeah, you do. I do. But then again, it's it's kind of hard to, you know, own a fun car and, and live in Hollywood. Yes. But there are trade-offs. There are trade-offs. You got to take the good with the bad. What's the coolest car you've driven? Coolest yeah. car I've driven is 12C Spider. Okay. Now, actually, probably, uh, I had a really good time driving a 600 LT Spider. Ooh, That nice. car is fun. And like, I don't know. I've had some, I've just had some like wild experiences behind cars. So I have to think about some stuff like um you know I, I got to drive an amg black series but that was like inside a place um so not really on roads and then um i got to drive a gt3 rs and a gt2 rs both on back roads that was kind of cool but i think the overall the best experience i had was probably the the um 600 lt that car is just it's something else my ultimate dream car is a 765 so i'm gonna have to take your word for that <laughs> Um, so going back to victory club, what is like the ultimate goal with victory club? 
So I want to change the understanding of what digital content means to people, right? When they, when they see a video right now, uh, a lot of video content right now is getting pushed towards uh, trends and um, just general short form enjoyment, right? But there's no real purpose behind a lot of it. And so what I see is happening, and it's, it's sad because it's a very slippery slope and these companies aren't realizing it, is that when you put out little pieces of entertainment that don't have purpose behind it, that's when brands start to fall apart, right? And so uh, I see a lot of brands, they, they're pushing these like all sorts of different types of messaging that uh, don't lead to an understanding of what the core brand is, right? And so um, what, what ends up happening is uh, when you don't have a purpose with something, you start to appeal to everybody, right? And I think a lot of people and companies are too insecure to deal with that, right? They don't, they don't know how to deal with a hater, right? And, and being in like an influencer type background, I've dealt with hate comments all the time. I, there were gr dedicated group chats. Literally, there were dedicated group chats on Instagram that would, people would send my posts and report them just because they hated me as a person. Wow. People that I've never met, right? And so, you know, it takes a lot of mental strength to deal with hate comments, right? But uh, I had, you know, all sorts of different successful people mentor me, which is the thing that's really cool about being in this like automotive space. And uh, a lot of them, they, they taught me to build my mindset around the concept of other people are always going to judge you because they've never been in your shoes. And so because they haven't been through all of your life experiences, they'll never understand why you do anything, right? And so because tying this back to the business side of it, right? Uh, if people can't understand why haters exist, they'll just do what they can to avoid haters, right? And that's the purpose of most PR firms. And so if you just try and avoid haters, then you appeal to everybody and then all brands become the exact same. And if you're not catering to a specific group of people, then you don't actually have a purpose as a business and all businesses become the same and there's no room for growth ever, right? And so I want to use digital content to help understand this concept of actually building something that uh, is a real brand, right? Brands have resources, processes, and values, and they all differ between different brands, which is how they compete with each other. And so um, by using these digital storytelling methods, then people can understand how those resources, processes, and, and values uh, are similar to them as a person where people can look at a brand and say, hey, that's me, not I want to be that and change themselves for that. And there's a big difference between that and I'm terrified of where society is going because they're going towards the I want to be that rather than, hey, that's me. So you're, you're saying that we're going backwards rather than forwards, most of these brands? We're going straight downhill, not even backwards. We're straight down. Like we are falling into a deep precipice where there are, I'd say probably two or three brands per industry that are still going in the right direction out of a thousand.
So where do you think we're going to be in like two years industry-wise? Uh, car industry or just in general? Car, car industry. More specifically the content side of things. Like I, 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 So I've told people that unless content on platforms like Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook, unless they start to change, people are going to get bored of it and they're going to stop using it, right? Because what, what's ended up happening, and I've noticed this, so TikTok usually is the start of how everything else on social media happens. And I don't know how TikTok has led that so quickly, but usually I'll see a pattern on TikTok and then it'll happen on Instagram about six months later and then Facebook six months after that, right? So Instagram did the same thing like eight years ago. And so like Facebook was booming and then something would change on Instagram and then that would get filtered into Facebook. Now it's starting on TikTok and getting filtered into Instagram and then getting filtered into Facebook and, and whatnot. Um, so what's going to end up happening is people are starting to get bored of all of these trends. And so what's ending up happening is people are sticking to their core group of people that rose up early on that individualized themselves from these trends, right? Daniel Mack is a great example of that because he doesn't follow any of the trends on social media. He might incorporate someone that's trending in culture, but his content is all about his own thing. He created the concept of, well, more or less created the concept of what do you do for a living, well, right? That's a conversation for another time, which you just caught, held yourself on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> that's true. But um, generally speaking, like he's not going and doing these TikTok dances. He's not going and um, using the same trending music that everyone else is doing, right? And so what, what ends up happening is people like that who started early on and, and built their own platform, they're going, people are going to end up subscribing to them. Social media is going to switch to an entirely su uh, subscription-based platform because people are only going to want to be involved in that content because they're going to get bored of everything else. Social media companies are going to realize that you can monetize that opportunity so that they don't have to spend all this money on all this other stuff. Advertisers are going to hone in on the influencers uh, and everything's going to spiral back that way. Um, the same way that on TV, right? Like all the streaming subscriptions are, you know, based on the most popular stuff that's happened in the last 30, 40 years on TV. Uh, and then anything new that comes up, like, you know, unless it's a really good story and marketed well, people don't care about it. Mm -hmm. So, and then, you know, TV kind of replaced that whole concept with movies. So it's kind of this ev evolutionary chain of stuff that's happened in media, even in the last hundred years from newspaper to movies, to TV, to the internet, to Facebook, to Instagram, to TikTok. Um, so something is coming, but it's, uh, it's very interesting, right? So I, you know, I think the Peterson does a really good job at that actually, you know, kudos to Patrick. That was, uh, I really appreciate that actually. Um, another question I had uh, speaking on like, cause you like fed right into what I'm about to ask the art is kind of dying due to the fluctuation in popularity of trends and they are definitely are losing it. But do you, do you think like the art is dying if there ever was an art behind a good marketing video? Oh, absolutely. So I think the thing that has been very successful about the videos that my agency has made so far is that, um, the way that you tell a successful story has to impact someone 
below their conscious level of understanding. And so what I mean by that, uh, and I, I, I really hope more people understand this, is that people, they value different things, right? And if you can speak to one of their values and get them to understand something on a level that's much deeper than they were currently realizing that it is, you can influence their actions that way, right? And so the only way to influence someone's actions that way is to do that without an agenda, but to teach them something. And so a lot of the stuff that we do isn't forward in an educational way, but they will see something and realize it without even consciously accepting that to like understand something about themselves which will then influence them to buy something or take action on something. And that is the way a good marketing video works. So in the last year, uh, what would you say is one of the, the best projects you worked on? Ooh, best projects I worked on. So um, I actually got <laughs> more or less snuck into a trip. Um, this, was, this was definitely the, oh, this the, is a good this story. Definitely the most fun thing. I know thing what you're going to talk about. This is a good story, yeah. Do you? I don't know. So um, I got to backtrack to the year before to tell you about this story. So the year before. So 2020? 2021. Okay. All right. So 2021, uh, I started working with uh, these two brothers filming video stuff, right? So I sent them on a couple of projects and um, they got invited by a friend of a friend to film something for Pirelli. And... Uh, so one of the brothers was able to go, the other one wasn't. And so that brother came over, we sat down, we, we planned out the stuff. He went and, and did this, um, this whole project, kind of independent of what I was doing at the time. And then uh, after that video, they were all like, wow, this is really impressive. It was the first time I've seen a vertical, not a vertical, a horizontal video on Instagram get 300,000 views. It was the third most viewed video on the, the Pirelli's Instagram page. Wow. And um, I was like, oh, that's cool. And so um, I asked to get in contact with the people at Pirelli to uh, talk to them about some other projects. And the whole year they were like, no, 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 no. And then that same race came around 2022. However, I was working with one brother and not the other brother. And so they reached out and they asked about uh, doing this race and he wanted to come in at super low price. And I'm like, part of victory club is to make sure that creators are paid appropriately for their work. Mm. Right. I, I'm tired of seeing people get underpaid for good quality work. Yeah. So, um, we, we structured everything. Um, and he was like, Oh, they're going to take less money. They're not going to accept this number. And it wasn't even like a high number, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> but he, like his lack of confidence held him back from even letting me quote what I wanted to quote. He was trying to talk me out of it. Anyways, they accepted, um, and but what they accepted was like a rate plus, uh, you know, a general idea of how much it would cost to travel. And we basically built out the the cost of our travel. Uh, where we did it cheap enough to where I could come on this trip. Nice. And uh, so the the reason that they wanted to like sneak me on is because the lady at Pirelli was kind of annoyed with how forward I was about doing these projects, right? 
and um you know I, like i understand right americans are very forward compared to the rest of the world and so you know i was a bit ambitious i had a few ideas that i knew could deliver value to pirelli um just couldn't really get through to them on it right and so finally got to this race uh, we did all the stuff, saw the lady, she's like, hi, I remember you. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> uh, we ended up filming all this stuff. And then um, by the time it was time for uh, us to leave, we had to go say goodbye. I changed outfits into something I got that week. And I went and said goodbye to her wearing this American flag onesie. Oh, yeah. I'm familiar with that one. And We're very uh, aware. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, oh, man, she... She was like, at the beginning, she was very like cognizant about space because of COVID and everything. And then by the end, she came over and just gave a big hug. <laughs> She's like, this is awesome. And then the video that uh, we ended up creating from that uh, ended up opening the doors for a whole bunch of other work opportunities and whatnot. So um, it's, I guess, goes to tell the point of like, it, you know, it's not always, um, you know, work doesn't always have to be super serious. You can have fun with it. And like, doesn't matter how big or corporate the company is, like you can just go in and actually um, have fun with it because people are people. But I don't know. I've done so many fun things in the last year. <laughs> like, so you, you talked about your uh, American onesie, but uh, a lot of people out there who's familiar with your work knows you for the banana suit. Oh yeah. So, how did that happen? <laughs> um. So I've had the banana suit for eight years. Going on nine years, which is crazy to think about. I literally, so I have my uh, high school yearbook in my apartment, and uh, you kept that thing. It, yeah, <laughs> because I have the pictures of me in the banana suit. It shows I was in nine different clubs in senior year. Like I was super involved with everything in high school. I was, I was doing sports. I was in a bunch of different clubs. Such a nerd. I was in I was chess about, club. I was about to say, what a nerd you are. Oh my. Yeah. Can, can, oh, you, yeah. can you name some? What some of the clubs? Yeah, I was in like key club and chess club, and you really are a nerd. Uh, yeah, I, I was in key like, club. I was in key. some. You, you, I was in some. Hold on a minute. Yeah, <laughs> key, keys to the club, baby. There you go. There's, um, a, there's a little bit of a pun in there. Yeah. So, um, I, I did stuff with like volunteer work with Humane Society or not, Habitat for Humanity, all sorts of like um, various stuff. Yeah, I was in a math club. Like, such a super nerd. She's a math club. How yeah. much worse could you get? I oh, was Lord. super. Ner- I had no friends in high school. Right. And then I started this whole Instagram thing and my life flipped upside down. It was kind of ironic. But um, yeah, so the, the so the banana suit came about in high school. And so the, the banana suit came about in high school. And um, all right. Go ahead. So, okay. So banana suit came about in high school. I got um, ended up having one of those, wore it to a school dance, all the stuff. And then I forgot about it, but I kept it. And um, the weekend before I moved to California, there was this big car show in Fort Lauderdale. And um, I went to basically, I basically went to that to go say goodbye to all my South Florida connects. Like obviously I was going to go back there, but it was going to be a while before I saw them. So I wanted to make myself as visible as possible. I wore this banana suit. I gained 600 followers in less than three hours. Wow. And I was like, that's pretty good. Sounds like good marketing tactic. Mm. So I didn't wear it when I first came out here. I was like, 
you know, I need to earn a little bit of respect first and then I can destroy it afterwards. And so <laughs> um, I didn't wear it until DDE, Daily Driven Exotics, hosted an event at Protective Film Solutions uh, in which I wanted to pull some attention away from uh, the F12 that they screwed up. So um, that's, a, that's a word for it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's like visible turbos through the hood. Anyways, I, I wore banana suit. Anyways, this kid comes up to me like two minutes after I put this thing on because it takes like three seconds to put on, right? And this kid comes up to me and goes, hey, I host a club at this university in Colorado and all of us wear banana suits to the sporting events. He goes, like, I need to know you and all this stuff. I'm like, wow, this is good for networking. This is cool. Like, screw the screw the whole like like Instagram thing. Like, I meet people so easily in this. Like anyone will talk to someone in a banana suit. There is zero fear, right? It automatically puts me at a level where they think that they're above me. And so like it just opens the door to conversation. So uh, I ended up wearing it a whole bunch, met a ton of crazy awesome contacts while wearing it. Um, and like I never really pushed it a lot through the social media. Like I'd wear it and different stuff, but I never made like a character out of it. One little thing is uh, from time to time on your stories, you ask people, are you happy? Oh, yeah. <laughs> are you happy? Right now, I'm so unhappy. You have no idea. <laughs> no, I... Relatable. So what's, <laughs> what's the story behind that? Okay, so I started doing that about five or six years ago. Um, and I genuinely wanted to understand... I, I genuinely wanted to understand why people are happy, right? And so uh, I started asking this and I wanted to just dig deeper on it, but I also genuinely cared about people. And so um, I, when, when, pe when I ask people, are you happy? Like usually about 30% say no. And so of those 30%, I usually ask, I don't know, maybe a quarter, a third of them, like just what's going on in their life. A lot of them are super open, which, you know, is, is crazy that they just open up to a stranger, right? But, um, you know, I, I try and, you know, offer them, you know, some level of personal experience as to something that might help them, you know, with their mindset or whatever they're going with. Sometimes it's like way bigger than what I'm able to deal with. But uh, I've had like six or seven people be like, hey, I was genuinely thinking about killing myself and you like stopped me from doing that. Thank wow. you. And it's, it's crazy to think about. It's quite but, the honor. That's, um, that's deep. But, you know, I just genuinely care about people in general and just happiness in general. And so uh, as I dug into that, what I understood about people, and this is how I actually got to my purpose in life, right? Which is like, I was asking all this and I wanted to know, um, you know, like why people are unhappy. And a lot of it had to do with their own insecurities, which ties into the whole Victory Club branding thing, right? And so um, I realized that if you don't understand who you are, it's very hard to live a happy life, mm -hmm. right? And 100%. so I realized that, probably the biggest issue in the world is that people don't understand who they are. Mm -hmm. And guess what solves that? Good branding, right? Because if you have good branding, people can look at something and be like, oh, that's me. Age too. Right? Well, yeah, age, <laughs> age experience, all yes. sorts of stuff, right? But uh, from a business side, right, is branding. So Okay, we're going to have to wrap it up. But uh, just for our audience, can you let, us, uh, let them know uh, where they can find you or, and a little bit more about your content and your social medias? Uh, well, they could find me at a bunch of car shows. I went to 300 car shows last year. Um, I have keys to the jungle on pretty much every platform except Minecraft. Someone DM'd me one day and said, I took the name keys to the jungle on Minecraft. I was it's like, okay, hilarious. random. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much. So, yeah. Thank you so much, Michael, for being here today. Thank you, everybody, again, for tuning into another episode of Car Stories by the Peterson Museum. Catch us in the next episode. We might even have Santa Claus on. Thank you again for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day.